0: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Complex. This month, James and I will be talking about a storm story involving aphantasia, also known as the inability to imagine. I hope you all enjoy the storm story by Nicole, entitled A Failure of Imagination. Take a moment to imagine yourself sitting around a fire with a few friends. Friends you don't get to see nearly often enough. Friends who you still have only because they never let you get away when things get complicated. Imagine yourself as a 30-something who is skilled at the cut-and-run style of dealing with relationships that you feel like you screwed up. Imagine yourself trying to process another job change, another failed relationship, frustration with constant perceived and real failures. Imagine that you were diagnosed with moderate to severe ADHD over a decade ago, having failed to create positive ways of managing, and having decreased in resilience. Imagine that crackling fire, the shifting glow of the embers holding your gaze as you listen to your friend tell you about his wife, dead for almost two years and how her face is fading from his memory, and how much that hurts. Imagine the fuzzy feeling the beer leaves on your teeth as you take a swig, eyes still transfixed on the shifting black, orange, and blue. You try to empathize, and fail to empathize. Imagine that you can't imagine. You've never seen anyone's face in your mind. You know what your friends look like, even though you're looking at the fire, but you only see it when you're looking at them. You try to pay attention to what he's saying, but your brain keeps coming back to this difference. What did he mean by, her face is fading? What is that? You want to be there for your friend. Imagine how hard it is to drag your attention away from your own thoughts and refocus on his pain trying to get your mind to cooperate with being a good friend. You physically drag your eyes away from the fire, take another swig of beer, and look at him. In the light of the fire and the stars, you take in his features. Imagine noticing a mole on his jaw. Had that mole always been there? Another friend speaks up, offering comforting words, offering empathy. Your eyes move to her, and his face disappears from your mind as soon as you look away. Everyone else falls silent and gazes into the fire. You look around at your friends and close your eyes. Imagine trying to imagine their faces, but all you can see is the glow of the fire through your eyelids and a slight afterimage. An owl calls for its mate, and she calls back from a different direction. The crickets chirp, telling the temperature to the entire forest. A distant plane roars dully from far up in the sky. What do you mean? Imagine yourself asking. When you say you see her face. You glance around. All eyes are turned on you now, and you're not sure where to put yours. So, they skip around the small group of faces, each one disappearing the instant your eyes move on. It used to be like she was here, like I could close my eyes and see her smiling at me, or he chokes up a little. Like watching a movie, or looking at a photograph of her? You ask, and then continue. You have home movies and lots of pictures, I know you do. Does watching them help? He begins to sob into his rough, work-worn hands, and the eyes that turn on you now are full of reproach. One friend and another move to comfort him and turn their backs on you, and their faces are gone from your mind. They escort the grieving widower back to his tent, where they whisper softly amongst themselves. You and one other friend, typically the quietest and most reserved one of your group, are all that remain around the slowly shrinking fire. Imagine him saying to you, that was kind of an insensitive thing to say. His eyes are on the embers, "'and you wonder if he can still see your face.' "'I didn't mean to be,' "'imagine saying quietly, "'just louder than the crickets. "'I know,' he replies. "'You see the fire reflected in his glasses, "'orange and black. "'What color are this friend's eyes? "'You've known him for at least five years now. "'You should know what color his eyes are.' "'You sit in silence.' trying to imagine anything. Your mind goes back over your scattered memories of the last 30 or so years, all the times someone told you that you have a vivid imagination or to stop daydreaming. And when people say you can't unsee that, or telling you to count sheep to fall asleep, do other people really see sheep? Imagine what it would be like to have only ever seen sheep at a farm or county fair. Imagine not being able to understand that you don't understand when your counselor tells you to envision your future, or your therapist telling you to go to your happy place, or remembering someone undressing you with their eyes, or a former lover telling you about his fantasies and asking you about yours. Imagine the overwhelm. Imagine the feeling of realizing for the first time that other people have pictures in their brains. After over 30 years of life, you only just now realize this. It took you 30 years to see that you were blind. What an idiot. Can I ask you a question, man? You say. Shoot. What happens when you imagine someone's face? I'm not sure I understand. What do you mean, what happens? I imagine a face, that's it. I mean, you don't actually see a face, right? You just mean that you think about a face, right? He looks at you. You stare at the fire, unwilling to meet his eyes. After a moment, he says, no, when I imagine a face, I see a face. But, like, you falter. Trying to find the words. You're saying that if you weren't here, you'd still be able to, I I don't know, pull up an image of me? Yeah, he says, confused. That's what thinking is. Imagine the hurt when your friend basically implies that you've never had a thought. Okay, so when you're thinking about work stuff, he's an engineer. Do you see the solutions to problems before you create them? Of course. I mean, I still have to do the math, but I always have a mental image of the result. No wonder you weren't a very good engineering student and undergrad. You were good at math, but did everyone else have this? Imagine feeling cheated. Imagine being completely fascinated with this superpower. Imagine continuing that conversation while your other friends whisper in the tent, and the crickets keep track of the tempo. Imagine the look he gives you, like you're broken, when you try to insist that you just don't have that. Imagine trying to apologize to your other friends the next morning without giving any clue as to the resentment you suddenly feel that they all seem to have this visual shortcut. Imagine going back to work at your crappy job, without feeling angry that, if only you had known, you'd have taken a different path. Imagine. Imagine you're me. I am 35 years old, and I have found a new community online of people who self-identify as aphantasics. That is, people whose internal senses are either completely absent or very weak. So many of the recommendations out there, great books and self-help programs, even this podcast, about how to develop strategies to manage ADHD rely on the ability to visualize and imagine. I finally feel like I have an essential missing piece to my puzzle that will allow me to actually benefit from therapy. So, I've made an appointment, and will be returning to therapy next month for the first time in years. I'm integrating this additional aspect of myself as I try to find out what's going to work for me. It certainly doesn't simplify things, but it does help me to understand why many of the strategies that I think should work just don't. Imagine what it would be like for your ADHD brain to have to navigate without internal senses. Without having the ability to recall or create models, sights, sounds, smells, flavors, or, well, any sensory. I think if it weren't for my ADHD brain, it might have taken me even longer to reach this realization, as obvious as it seems to me now. I think that the methods I've learned to cope with my ADHD are better and stronger after having this realization. I think that having friends who really value my perspective on the world... And a global community of people who share parts of it, both from an ADHD perspective and an aphantasia perspective, has been key for me not getting wrapped up into the grief cycle of if only I'd known sooner about either part of my unique human condition. So, James, we have someone with something called aphantasia. Yes. Which is, uh, by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the inability to form mental images or of real or imaginary people, places, or things. So they can't imagine.
1: Right. They can't visualize yeah. that ability. And their, their mind's eye, uh, for my research on it, is blind. Correct. First off, have you ever encountered this before? Um, I have encountered versions or aspects of it, but nothing directly related to uh, this terminology.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you talk a lot about imagination. I do talk a lot in about imagination. Your strategizing and the strategizing that you help your clients have. Yes. Um, yes. So, first off, uh, where can, what, what, obviously other things occur with ADHD. Sure. Right. So, Lots aphantasia is one of those. Yes, um, Obviously, other people have others, as like right. anxiety, depression, sure. bipolar, whatever. Right. right? Eating issues, yeah. right? sleep issues, right. all kinds of things. So, exactly. what, um, is it common to have comorbid symptoms with ADHD?
1: Yes, it's incredibly common. Uh, as a result of this, again, being a genetic neurological developmental condition, mm-hmm. so... Uh, you have a lot of differences from the very beginning, and those differences start to create those comorbidities or things that coexist with it, whether yeah. it's self-esteem issues or it's anxiety or depression. You have that distress, as I talk about in the emotional distress syndrome that spins off of ADHD. That begins to create coexisting or comorbid positions. It certainly are, uh, it, it sets up the case for it
0: yeah. big time. Gotcha. So what can somebody do with comorbid stuff? Do they have to treat each individually or do you kind of
1: treat it as a whole? Well, it's a great question. It depends really on the degree of severity of the coexisting or the comorbid position, or mm-hmm. the comorbid comor- comor- issue, really. Um, and so if depression is significant enough, say, um... Outside of ADHD issues, yeah, then it may need to be treated either medically or uh, conceptually through th- you know therapy and those mm-hmm. kinds of things along with the ADHD. They aren't treated separately. It was certainly, in my case, they're they're treated as a coexisting condition, and I would treat both. But yeah. I may have to create certain things to manage or deal with depression that is very specific to an individual. Yeah. It's going to relate to varying degrees with things we might do with ADHD, so there's always some crossover. But yes, many times you may treat each individual thing separately because uh, it occurs a little differently and feels differently than the ADHD itself.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so... Now that we kind
1: of have all the technical things out of the way,
0: um, how we can call those technical? Yeah, whatever they are. Um, how w- what what are some alternatives to imagination? Because obviously, if this person can't see something in their mind's eye, um, right. whether it be you know anything, or they just can't like visually see things, correct? Um, what could you do to
1: well you do know this? there's there's many things that come to mind for me. And this, where, this is where the creativity and the customization regarding strategy certainly comes in. But I first want to really speak to the degree of difference that someone who has a blind mental eye, so to speak, would feel. Hmm. Um, and I will say as a professional, I'm always open to learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, even as an expert, I don't know everything. I'm never right. going to know right. everything. And so when new things come toward me, such as this, this specifically, I want to make sure that the individual also understands that, yeah, this is a very significant condition and can be somewhat frustrating, particularly with a lot of my theoretical orientation Mm. of the way I talk about using imagination visually. Yeah, yeah. And so that's
0: that's partly because you yourself are so visual.
1: Yes. (laughs) And in fact... If I look at the uh, the research or the work around this condition mm-hmm. um, I would have a condition I believe is called hyper uh, aphasia which mm-hmm. is an ability to vividly yeah. okay it's See almost things like you're in there mind. in the it, moment I yes. feel like I'm there this yeah. is how I talk about people talk with clients and certainly uh, in many other ways it, it's almost as if I have a dualistic mind I can be in my imagination mm-hmm. while I'm talking to you so okay I can go sit on top of my glacier mountain right now in Mm -hmm. my snow cave as I'm talking to you on this podcast and I can really feel and be in both worlds now so I have an extended version obviously of being able to imagine uh, at a very hyper level but I want to make sure you know this individual this is a real painful deal because it's like it's a degree of difference on top of something that's already had a difference and so you get these coexisting conditions that sometimes I don't like to use this term, but it's like an insult to injury. Yeah. It's like, it's already, things are already difficult. Really? <laughs> now, bottom line with that is that you want to take it from a resilience point of view Mm -hmm. that coming up with new ways to manage this and ways to effectively help yourself really does build resilience and stamina long term gotcha sometimes we wish we didn't have to build that much resilience and stamina um but other ways to get to uh dealing with things um that i'm you know you it would be hard to even call them imagination in this person's perspective because they actually can't see that they can't imagine right they have a blind eye to that so I would say you know the key differences are beginning to customize ways to connect themselves to themselves in a way that's calming and meaningful and personal so how would you do that yeah things like journaling so that a person might write deeply about how something feels or something looks to Mm -hmm. them even Mm -hmm. and they could go back and read that kind of scenario of what they might write about in a forest scene or things like that even though they're Mm -hmm. not seeing it they would have been in a forest before or they could walk out into a forest or go somewhere on a beach with a a journal journal. yeah and write about the experience itself and begin Mm -hmm. to create a world for themselves through writing. Yeah, one in idea. journal. That'd be okay. Other things could be things like using pictures on a computer, mm-hmm. pictures on your phone. Mm-hmm. You could create a photographic journal. And in fact, it's interesting because I have dealt with a lot of differences and I wonder how much this individual may have had some of this condition in my past history. But this individual would make a uh, journal... Of beautiful flowers she loved loved flowers mm-hmm. and so she would cut out these gorgeous flowers from different magazines and had her own journal a flower book wow. that she would flip through and would stop and gaze at the different flowers mm-hmm. that were on there and as that a way.
0: journal was kind of like her safe place absolutely and like, yeah. absolutely cool.
1: and she kept it in her own space but mm-hmm. you know if someone sees it they don't necessarily see it as a safe place right, it's right. just a It's just a book of flowers. It's just a book of flowers. It looks beautiful. But to her, it's something special. Yeah. So those are ways to begin working with things like this. Uh, And I would think the other thing is, like I said, the real scenes, kind of being Mm -hmm. in a real environment. Much of my world that I've customized around me uh, has the element of the sense of emotional and mental safety. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the comfort of couch or blankets or, you know, um, uh, Uh, hammocks that I might sit out in my backyard and read in, you know, I dial in my real environment also Mm -hmm. for a sense of emotional and mental safety from a feeling point of view.
0: Yeah. And you can bring in like different aspects of places and things that you enjoy. Right. So Mm -hmm. I know you have a lot of different things around your office and around your life in general that remind you of, um, of something, of something meaningful. Correct.
1: Correct. Very meaningful. Like I'm gazing right now at the plant in my office and I've referred to this at times before that my wonderful mother-in-law. I call her my favorite mother-in-law. Okay, (laughs) She's my only mother-in-law she says but she's still my favorite. But she gave me a a lucky bamboo plant is Uh what they call it I guess. There's certainly a, a a biological name for that. Yeah. But it I've had it for 11 years and right. I'm looking at it right now and so the meaning of it and it has butterflies in it and it's been there a long time mm-hmm. and and so the meaning that you have with things in your environment okay can also bring that sense of emotional and mental safety. So yeah. I would think you could also build that real world kind of sense around yourself that could be very helpful. Um I would also say that you know if you look at the other idea of other senses so someone with this condition doesn't necessarily um, not have other senses they may have other senses right. they may also be blocked to other senses yeah
0: so they could potentially like imagine smells or imagine touches right. or right. something like that right yeah. or, or they hearing. Could, right or they
1: could hold something in their hand that is soft or that um, Uh, You know, and they can create from that point of view the feeling states of again Mm -hmm. using other senses beyond their visual imagination. Um, But uh, those would be the ideas of workarounds. And I Mm -hmm. think that again, I want to be very empathetic with the individual from a point of view of this an an additional difference. Right. You know, you have other physical conditions. Like I said, I personally have my close head injury from when I was four. And so, under stress, Higher degrees of impulsivity that are even beyond ADHD, mm-hmm. other d- difficulties with sequencing and evaluation that are beyond ADHD. Yeah, ask my wife about me if you don't <laughs> if, about them if you don't believe me. Uh, but they're just things, differences I've learned to deal with over the years. Yeah,
0: there's a you know I just thought of that. There's one other potential possibility of like uh, outlet for this imagination that and that is like kind of like D and D miniatures. Yes, right. Like you could make. Actual little scenes and and right. things happen with these little right. figures and right. uh, little kind of, you know, yes plates that you make together to make houses and all that kind of stuff. Well, right.
1: And so those even D&D miniatures or those kinds of things. Mm. This is where we're talking about imagination or the <laughs> ideas of mental um, kind of play or those kinds of things that are comforting mm-hmm. start in childhood. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So who's to stop an individual from going to buy a wonderful little playhouse to set things up in? It seems odd to talk about in some ways as an adult because we think about it from childhood. But remember, much of my work uh, is also centered now around what I would call is helping people mature their ability to use that mental Mm -hmm. state, whether it's imagination or other senses, to really ground and connect themselves. And so... We get much of those from childhood. Right. And um, and those things are, you want to mature them into adulthood. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a a real significant missing component to our world is that we don't have that ability that we bring forward that childhood was a safe, meaningful, playful space. Yeah. Uh, And that adulthood certainly can be connected in the exact same way as you were as a kid.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, to round things off... um, are there any other, like, kind of odd comorbidities that you have come across in your practice? Um, because I know this one, you know, you haven't necessarily heard of. I think a lot of people haven't necessarily heard of it. Um, but it is something significant, it seems like. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious. Is there any other thing that has kind of uh, ha- made it to where you had to uh, kind of Go into the the uh, other strategies or things with imagination
1: that might. Well, you know, when I think about the differences, and I think about what I've seen in my practice over the years, um, many of the differences sometimes come from like sensitivities of of of, of other senses. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had an individual who had a sense of smell, and he was a young a teenager or mid age teenager at the time but he literally could go into a restaurant oh, yeah, um, I think and he would smell this. food coming mm-hmm. out of the kitchen and he could name it what was on the tray <laughs> from 20 30 feet away yeah uh parents initially thought you know he was very oversensitive or there's something wrong with him but the reality was he had a very overdeveloped sense of smell mm-hmm. his strategy was to order his food walk out of the restaurant and sit outside <laughs> Uh, Until his food came. So he didn't feel either overwhelmed or full is what would happen. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I had another individual with a difference around uh, the feeling state of pressure. Mm -hmm. And she would uh, swear to her parents she had to lie on her stomach to read books under her bed. So she would tuck her half of her body under her bed. But the pressure on her body helped her to really focus and concentrate and so that pressure on her body from the bed is very much like a kinesthetic white noise mm-hmm. for the attention part of the brain to keep it in gear. Yeah, and we know so much more about this now with Temple Grandin and all the work that she has done on uh, regarding uh, Asperger's and really what is autism. Mm-hmm. And she and you know she developed that pressure machine that she created uh, from the cattle industry and those kinds of yeah, things that really right. helped her to feel. Um, calmed and grounded and you know one of the other strategies I know is just a little bit off the uh, maybe a little bit off the topic maybe not is the idea of weighted blankets mm-hmm. and that many yeah. people are using weighted blankets now I myself have a 12 pound blanket in my mm-hmm. office that helps me to feel very calm and grounded and centered yeah. uh, but helps me to feel a sense of safety in that weight Yeah. so to speak and so again you're looking at customizing your mental state about how you think about Your idea of safety emotionally, Mm -hmm. spiritually, you know, how things mean things to you in your life. Yeah. But the customization is something that has to come from the inside out as I talk about so much. Yeah. And it's so much of what the work I'm doing this year now regarding the development beyond the book, beyond the podcast, and we're beginning to move toward things like subscription and membership mm-hmm. sites so that people can really get a hold of me this year in a way that, or get a hold of my information and follow it from a developing yeah. a relationship with themselves point of view. Perfect. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to all the work in 2020. And yeah, uh, we have a few things that you're working on behind the scenes with me on and, yep. uh, and more uh, to be revealed.
0: Yes, yeah, we will tell you all more as that comes out Um, But for now, thank you, James, for all of those insights. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. If you want to submit your own uh, storm story to be talked about on this podcast, go to jamesochoa.com and uh, click on the Storm Stories tab.
1: And I was also going to tell individuals that if you ever hear of a good storm story from a friend who has ADHD, encourage them, say, Hey, that's a great storm story for uh, the Shiny Shorts podcast. Exactly.
0: All right. Be great. Well, thank you, James, and thank you all for listening.